So guys, today we are going to be um, starting season two with Dr. Ian Phil, MD, CBE. He's a World Health Organization advisor for older adult care. Ian has been involved in various television programs, including How to Live Longer and The Young Ones, and was the National Clinical Director for Older People in England for eight years. Professor Ian is the founder of Age Care Technologies, which won the 2021 United Nations WSIS Prize for Innovation in Healthy Aging. Today, we will be discussing the unreported needs of older people and how aged care technologies will transform aging globally. So hi, um, Ian. Um, I hope that you're okay today and that you're feeling um, positive. I, know, I don't know about you, but the weather's rubbish here. Um, so I hope it's a bit better where you are, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, so... Uh, for a Monday, I don't feel too bad. I, I work in a co-working space with a gym attached now, so I feel good. I've done my spin class. I've done my yoga at lunchtime, so I'm totally chilled. Thanks, oh, Rosalind. Brilliant. Brilliant. Amazing. So um, let's get cracking. So how did you transition from medicine to focusing on healthy ageing and ageing in general? Yeah, well, I wasn't sure that medicine was for me for the first couple of years at medical school until I discovered what's called geriatric medicine. And I worked for this brilliant professor who was my inspiration, a guy called Jimmy Williamson. Uh, he'd been George Orwell's personal physician, and he had this very humane and very practical approach to, um, to care and medicine. And he helped really create that specialty. And I decided even as a medical student, I'd spend my career in older people's care uh, because of Jimmy. Brilliant. So um, that's really interesting. So I just wanted to quickly touch on geriatric care and health and what I think that as a word, um, people kind of go, ooh, geriatric. And I know that when I've had these conversations in the past, people haven't uh, tended to like to be referred as geriatric. Um, is that your personal experience or could you, could you go into that a little bit more? It is. I mean, I'm using that phrase because that's what was used in 1980 when I was a medical student. Uh, we're, we really talk about the, the health and care of older people now. And that's, um, that's based on surveys of how older people like to be referred to. Um, so, yeah, I, I worked eventually as a consultant specialist in that specialty, specialist in old age care. Um, and um, yeah, for terminology, geriatric sounds awful, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't think <laughs> nobody people... wants to be a geriatric. No, no, they don't. Um, okay, so um, you've recently been awarded this amazing prize and obviously received this recognition for aged care technologies. Um, I wanted to explore that and what aged care technologies does um how it came about um, and kind of the future of it yeah well aged care technologies is my way of trying to solve a problem which jimmy williamson gave me when he retired in 1986 so i did my first job with him as a medical student with him and i got to know him well and when he retired he said to me and i i found a problem which i didn't solve and the problem was that two thirds of the things that most threaten older people's health, independence and well-being are not reported to their GPs. And that leads to all sorts of unnecessary suffering. And he said, Ian, I didn't discover the problem. There's, sorry, I didn't find the solution to the problem. He found the problem, published this in 1963, believe it or not. 
So I've spent my career solving that problem. And over um, 30 plus years, I've been doing research and development with colleagues around the world. We've worked in 50 countries, all regions of the world, to come up with a practical tool that helps older people report their needs and then connects them to local resources that can meet their needs. And we found we can do that everywhere. Um, if, you know, in rural Uganda, in tower blocks in Hong Kong, older people, if they're encouraged to report their needs, and if we build up a picture of the services that sit around them, we can, we can meet their needs. And we can add at least one extra quality life year, a year of good quality life. Not, add, not extending life, but adding an extra year of good quality life and, and then reducing the time that older people might be you know, seen as geriatric or frail and needing care prior to their deaths. Um, so we've proven the method, um, but to get it out to the world at scale, I decided I'd take a, a, a business model through a social enterprise. And our goal is to in, significantly improve the lives of 100 million older people by 2030 through uptake of this tool. And that's why I've set up Age Care Technologies about um, two and a half years ago um, to be the vehicle for, for doing that. Brilliant. So for example, say I am going to report my, my needs, what, what, my, what my, my problems are, how would I do that? And once I have done that, how fast and efficient is that process for referring um, the most appropriate services? Yeah. Well, what we found is that um, we can offer a self-assessment and then a list of local resources, but generally older people need somebody to take them through and to hold their hands or navigate them towards the right services. So we work with health and care systems through local government, through the NHS. We work with care providers and we work with professionals who can then use the tool and use it with older people um, to go through the assessment and then to support them in finding access to resources. And generally it takes about three months to your question about the time to, okay. to make all the changes um, and then to do a reassessment to find out what happened and has life improved and is there anything else. Um, but what we've got is, is actually the, a structured assessment with 56 things, believe it or not, 56 top things that all of which could be fundamental to an older person having a good quality of life and living better, living more healthily and being more independent. And what we find is that having gone through the assessment, typically an older person will report between eight and 12 concerns. So quite a lot of things. This is things like loneliness or pain or feeling that you're a burden or having had a fall or worried about your finances or your house. So it's a broad assessment. At the end of that, although they might identify eight to 12 concerns typically, they will usually say, I only want help right now with a couple of things. And that's where you focus the intervention on the thing that actually matters most to them at the time. And uh, so we, we go from very large down to just a couple of things normally that is the thing that really will make a difference mm. to that person's life at that time brilliant so um mature movers is the 
the company that I run. It's also the name of this podcast. Um, and um, Mature Moves is all about um, getting people active so that they can promote their better mobility, better quality of life, but focusing on health and mainly exercise. And um, I've been running I've been working with care homes and um, care industries and, and, and older adults for a while now. And um, the, the three things that always stand out to me are um, what being worried that they're a burden. So um, I, I love to use Brenda. So Brenda is one of my long-term friends and also clients. So she's 90. She turned 90 this year and um, we've we've grown together as just friends and it's been really really interesting um kind of trying to help her because although I, my 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 background is exercise and fitness and sports science um it's a lot more than that and what i do is is aimed at helping people so it's 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 absolutely fascinating how common it is for um for older people to to think or worry about being a burden or or stressing about I mean um I'm sure you know gad so gad is so common in older adults and I try to explain that to um so for the people listening um general anxiety disorder so um is is so common with the people that I work with and I think being uh an exercise person you and a, and a fitness professional you 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 and your clients build these relationships um that are extremely trustful and um, they share your their, their kind of deep concerns and thoughts and feelings and, and what's going on in their lives. And, and I think, I think that's definite. I, lo- I love that. I love that approach of finding, of finding out all the problems because everybody has lots of problems and then narrowing it down to the, what means the most to them. Because although like, for example, I'm a, I'm an exercise professional and somebody might come to me and say, I've just had back surgery, right? And I really want to reduce that pain. And it can be really easy for me to go, okay, but if I look here and here and here, this is most important for me. But but I do need to consider that the back, your back is the one the thing that you want to focus on right now. And then we grow towards that. So it's so um, it's such um, I don't know, a transferable um need in, in a variety aspect variety of aspects of life um so going to my next question um you've got is it 56 um problems or 56 yes. concerns 56 concerns is that going to be um expanded or do you want to kind of keep it at, at that number so that you can really focus on developing those services well not not you developing but finding those services to help with those problems well um, to what you were saying earlier about, you know, all older people are quite complicated. And when you met one older person, you met one older person. And they could have lots and lots of things going on psychologically, socially, in their physical environment, as well as in their health and their conditions and so on. So you, you can't reduce things too much. Um, I did start with, oh, let's keep it to 30 and what you could put in a little fold away card. And I remember the first version of this assessment tool, we took, I took it to World Health Organization European office meeting to discuss how we promote better care for older people in Europe. And there was a doctor from Kazakhstan who was there. And I showed him this little card, fold away card that I could produce and it was called Easy Care, C-A-R-E. That was what it was called then. 
And he, he took it from me. He said, ah, easy carry. I said, no, no, easy carry. No, he said, no, no, easy carry. And he put it in his pocket, <laughs> which made it quite, you know, the idea of keep something as short as possible. Now, we, we have added a bit over the years and about every five years, I've added a few questions because these have come out of research to see if we don't ask about these things, we're missing something important. Um, now we've got from these 56 things, they feed the World Health Organization recommendations for, for intervening with older people around care pathways in preventive care. And so we cover all of these things. So, you know, yes, I want to keep it as limited as possible, but at the same time, you don't want to miss important things. Mm, absolutely. So currently, so just so is aged care technologies fully functioning and in what countries? Um, and then if not, when when's it going to launch yeah. so that it's a bit more accessible? Because um, I'm conscious that we have a lot of listeners who work in these industries. And if they he hear about it, they they might think, oh, actually, that sounds like really useful for us. So it'll be really great to, to get a bit a bit bit of a better idea. Thank you. Well, we, we are commercial and we have got contracts, um, one in Canada with a care provider. There's a, um, a healthcare system in England that have contracted to use the approach. Um, we're selling our tools to um, healthcare professionals directly with accredited training. So that started, and these are our three main areas. We, we don't provide this directly to older people themselves at the moment. Mm. Work through people who are involved in providing care or promoting better health. But we've got a really big um, supply chain um, and partners in North America. We're going in with a system, uh, with a, a business that, that, that provides support to a thousand organizations in, in America delivering care to older people. We're setting up a joint venture business in China to take out a national assessment system through their network in 24 provinces. We're working in Southeast Asia and Australia. And then in my international network, we're doing demonstration projects in uh, countries like India and uh, Uganda. Um, so we, we do have that presence. Mm. And what we're what I've been careful to do though is try to just hone and develop improve the, the products first and stay small we I'm not trying to create a huge business I'm trying to create a tool that's easy for people to access easy to use and easy to scale it up so we can get it out to you know to that hundred million older people yeah brilliant so you've mentioned that you're in um, North America and and all of these other big places are you, are you as um i guess like well known or i guess is england a, a bit a good source of um business growth for you um and if not I, i'm making assumptions in my head like are we too small because the the areas and the regions that you're talking about are quite large and have I guess, more people that need more help, I guess. But yeah. I also know that the UK aren't great at providing the care um, yeah. and and kind of adopting these new digital strategies and, and things like that. So please feel free to expand, expand on that. 
Yeah, well, no place is too small. I'm very proud of what we're doing in North Macedonia, for example. Okay, brilliant. Um, so, you know, it's just like every older person counts, and I think every country and culture counts. And, and when we're trying to create an international standard. England's quite good, and I'm not forgetting Scotland, Wales, or Northern Ireland either. We've got partners there. But in England, there's a fantastic opportunity now because the way they... I was involved in national policy work about... Um, uh, finished that work over 10 years ago, but I was in national government for 10 years. And at that time, there was quite strong leadership from the centre in developing new models of care, improving the health service. The system fragmented and is now being brought together through things called integrated care systems, where health, social care, local government, voluntary and community services are getting together to try and provide better joined up solutions and we're, we're already secured a large contract with an integrated care system. We're talking to several others. And I think that's the way we'll get this out in, in England. And, you know, there are, um, um, there are about 4 million older people who would benefit in England mm. from this approach, which is a significant number. And if we reach them all, the saving to the UK economy is estimated to be about £3.6 billion in reduced long-term care costs. Yeah. So definitely worth doing in, in England. Yeah, definitely. So I know that you're really passionate about um, unreported needs. Um, now, what exactly are unreported needs? Well, they're things that are bothering older people, but they don't want to bother the doctor about them. Okay. Um, and older people, for a whole variety of reasons, carry these assumptions that, oh, well, there's other people more important than me. There's nothing can be done about it. I don't want somebody interfering in my life. I, I'm holding on to what I've got. Um, so what we, what we do is we very gently encourage older people to come forwards. And in England, the model is we ask GPs to write out to their 75 plus population living at home and say, we've got this brilliant health and care check system. If you're worried about your health, your independence, well-being, we'd encourage you to, to, to have this. And then you can have a telephone assessment or you can have a face-to-face -face assessment. And after that, we come in, we follow up, we do the assessment, we provide a report to the GP. And a lot of the research has been about how to ask older people about difficult things. And as you know, you've got to build that. Well, I can see clearly you, you develop trusted relationships with the people you, you look after and you, you, know, you end up with a, a bond of affection as you described with Brenda. And you need to build that trusted relationship with the older person. And from there, I mean, both parties get enormous satisfaction from being able to to do something that could help an older person be less isolated or lonely, mm. to recover from the pain that they're having, to feel that they're, they're more independent, not a burden on their family. So yeah, that's, that's how we, we go about bringing older people into this offer. And I, I do want to get it out to as many older people as possible in, in my own country of Scotland, as well as this heathen country south of the border in England. <laughs> And in Portugal, where I think your family are from originally. Is that well, right? yeah, so my surname is Portuguese, but they're my, I would say my my great-grandparents. Um, but it, they're actually from Goa. So um, 
it oh, obviously wow. yeah so it goes it goes back quite a lot um and then has kind of we've moved to the middle east so my dad is actually born in the middle east um born in iraq um but his and I think it must be his grandparents who are going. Um, I would love to do an ancestry um, thing one day to find out who's from where. But yeah, so. You should. On. Well, we've we've done a project in Goa. All right. Um, we've, we haven't been in Iraq, but we've been in Iran. Okay. And um, do, do, you, the, the approach is pretty universal mm. um, because... You know, people often say, um, you know, we don't care about old people as much in the UK as people do in other cultures and countries. I don't find that. I find mm-hmm. circumstances are difficult, but there is a rich seam of connection between older people and younger people for, for everyone's benefit. And if we can provide a tool that makes it easier for older people to remain independent and happy and free of suffering, then... Um, it, it's you know it's really popular with with the whole community and with families absolutely as well as with the older people themselves so I just want to go back um to what you said about older adults not not feeling like they can share certain things with GPS because they think oh either they're not going to be able to help me or they don't want to they don't think it's going to be possible or that's not relevant. Do you think it's just older people or do you think it's all of us? Or do you think older people are particularly wired wired like that? And maybe society has led, for example, millennials um, or Gen Z to, to have a different approach. I just personally know that I, I feel like I could tick that box in never going to the GP or... Um, not wanting to worry about not any wanting anyone else to worry about me and not necessarily thinking that they can help um so it's interesting I don't know whether your research has come across across things that have suggested that older people in particular have that approach or have that thought process yeah well there's um there's about four groups of people that tend to underreport. okay um older people are one um people who are poor which often goes with low educational attainment, mm-hmm. um, under-report, people from some black and minority ethnic groups under-report, and women under-report <laughs> compared to men. Okay. So the, the, the beauty of our approach is that we can offer it to all groups, and the groups that benefit most amongst the older people are the ones who would be less likely to report. So we can, we can help with the levelling up agenda and the tackling of the inequalities, not by denying anybody access, but by making sure that the people who be least likely to come forward and say, I'm bothered about this, because, you, and you're right, so there's a new generation of people coming into old age and every generation is different from the previous generation. Um, one of my first patients was a World War I survivor, a man who'd been in the trenches, and I had to as part of my medical student training, do a night shift as a nurse assistant. And the nurse in charge of the ward gave me a pair of gloves. And she said, this old man has got a rectal prolapse with literally his bottom had fallen out of his bottom. Yeah. And I want you to go and squeeze it and pop it back in. Oh. And it, it took me about an hour to do it because I wasn't very competent and poor him. 
But during that time, he told me stories about First World War, which he said, I've never told anybody, but I have to get them off my chest before I die. Mm. And so there was that, there was that generation, there was the generation of the Second World War. We're now got the baby boomers coming into old age and baby boomers will be much more demanding and are much more demanding and will come forward. But not everybody has that level of advocacy or agency about them. As I say, you know, if you're a poor older person or you're from some black minority ethnic groups, you're less likely to report things. So yeah, it's always changing. Mm. Um, and uh, younger people as well, of course, we'd encourage people to come forward. I mean, it used to be the case that cancer was a shameful diagnosis. It then was the case that mental health was a shameful thing to suffer from. And we're seeing a big change there, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah. I still think old age is something that people don't like to admit to. And part of it, part of older people not reporting is that if you report, you might feel you're going to be bracketed as an old frail person. Mm. And you lose that sense of, you know, I can still keep on top of my life. You and your listeners must know many people, perhaps in your own family, old people who just doggedly refuse help and continue to try to manage without help. Uh, my dad if my dad ever listens to this that is my dad that's you dad (laughs) he needs needs to we need to sit down with your dad and just run through (laughs) this assessment and how old is he uh 54 i think oh but he's a bit bit young maybe in 20 years time yeah maybe that's his mindset (laughs) maybe it makes me feel old i'm 62 yeah but then but then people think oh i'm old because i'm 60 and I, in my head, I don't know if it's because I surround my, myself with these amazing, inspirational, motivational people who are 90. And I think, oh, 60 is really young. What are you, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> and I don't, I, I think a big, so one of my kind of goals in life is to really try to diminish um, stereotypes around aging. And it's really hard because I'm, so I'm, nearly 25 and people look at me and think what do you know about aging and I think that in itself is ageist but whatever um but I do I do see it and I I feel like just as an empathetic person um people will make really really off off comments just and nobody would think anything else for example um I'm, I'm too old to use the stairs or um oh, I can't do that. I'm too old. And I just think that age shouldn't be that, um, shouldn't be that barrier or that limitation. I was, I was um, talking to a lady called Carol today. And I think, I think off the top of my head, she's closer to 70. And um, she was in a, in a fitness class. And she, she said to me at the end, she said, sometimes I think I'm, am I too old for this class? Now, this class is aimed at people over the age of 50. And I just thought, absolutely not you're so mobile you you're keeping up with the class um when you when you I I like to think that when you get to 60 you you absolutely cannot um kind of bracket people or put people into certain boxes because it's there's an extreme range of ability after 60 and some people unfortunately just haven't been given the same life opportunities or education to better their health and well-being than others and those that have are incredibly fit I mean 
with social media now you you can come across some some amazing amazing people um and and obviously I follow them and I think right my goal by the age of 90 is to be able to do a muscle up in the gym or, or whatever it is and and usually people would would think that that's a goal to have at 30 because that's like your your peak peak age for for fitness but then I'm looking at um I don't know John on Instagram who's 79 and he's flying on the rig and swinging and I mean for those of you that don't know what a muscle up is it's going um on a bar and swinging yourself so that you're pushing yourself up off this bar so um I I I think ageism is is a huge part of it and not not just about other people being ageist to other people but being ageist to yourself can can seriously limit your um ability or put you off that that reporting of issues and that whole process um I, don't, I mean I don't I don't know if that's something that you've come across or or I'd love to, love to know your oh, thoughts on that. It's completely true on several levels one is the variability the other is the expectation um it's about getting the balance right about um what's right for you as an individual and how you should maximize your own health independence of well-being as you get older because i mean there's no doubt that just as aging can bring a lot of great things and generally you find that life satisfaction goes up for every decade after the age of 50 not you would think it would go down whereas at the same time the problems related to aging increase Mm. so there's a sort of resilience that you get as you get older and there's also something towards the end of life where you're making sense of your life and you're looking back and you're saying yeah I think I had a life that was worth living and that allows most people to accept their mortality easily at the end of life um but for some older people, life is pretty awful. And part of what we're doing with aged care technologies is recognizing that, that you know, some horrible things can happen, but you can do something about it and you can improve your life. You can have a better quality of life. Um, and you don't need to suffer needlessly and you don't need to be a burden. So it, And then in the space of, if we can remove the problems that are holding people back, then people have the chance to do things which give their life meaning as they get older, which it it could be, and again, it's so variable. I I remember going to a a wonderful extra care facility in Wolverhampton, which Mm -hmm. extra care is a sort of a place where people can grow old um, move into when they're old, but also enjoy high levels of independence and freedom, do the things that, that, that give their life meaning. So, you know, there was one old resident who said, all my life I wanted to skydive. So that was arranged. <laughs> there was another couple who um, got friendly. They were both widowed, a um, man and a woman. They were, they'd both been widowed and they decided they wanted to um, restart having sex so they arranged <laughs> for their jacuzzi sessions for them oh wow um, and although for most old people there it was simple things like enjoying the garden having a cup of tea with a friend and there was an old lady the oldest lady who showed us around this place i sat down with her had a cup of tea at the end and there was a sign in the conservatory on the wall that had the list of everybody that had lived and died in that unit 
since it was built. So I asked her what she thought about death, which is something I was taught to do as a medical student, because older people generally aren't embarrassed about it. And she said something that many older people have said to me before, and then she said something extraordinary. Um, she said that, well, uh, Dr. Philip, um, we're all old here. We know we're old. We know we're going to die probably quite soon. But she said, this is a place that I want to die oh. in because this is a place where dreams come true. Oh, breaks my heart. That's lovely. So, yeah. and I think, I think whoever, whoever gets those opportunities to, to be in those environments that promote um, doing things and, and participating things and doing those things that you've always wanted to do. Um, oh gosh, I hope I'm, I hope I'm in that position. I think as a young, as a young person, my biggest fear is dying and not achieving my full potential and that's something that really affects me as a person and and I, and I always say to my partner I say I don't have enough hours in the day to get all the things I want to get done so that by the 50 I've achieved by um, 50 I've achieved this this and this and I've done this and I think there's also that age comparison thing that I don't know if anybody else does it but I do it and I look at other successful people and I go look at their age and I think I really hope to be have achieved that when I'm that age or and and then the opposite if I'm if they're younger than me I just think why haven't I done that why haven't I achieved that why why do I not feel as successful as that and I don't know if that's a common thing or not but for me that's a huge um I think it's a positive and a negative because it pushes me and it it provides that drive and motivation to do things, but then also it will affect my mental health and the the way I kind of uh, perceive myself. So, uh, yeah. So it's a great thing to achieve what's called generativity in adult life, doing things that make a difference to your family, through your work and so on. And it's not about climbing the career ladder. It's mm. about doing things which you would think, yeah, that was worth doing. I, I used to have a discipline that every morning before work, I'd have a cup of tea, I'd look at my day ahead. And I think, is there anything I'm going to do today that I, if I had to sit down at the end of the month and say, yeah, that was a good thing, I did that, I would remember, I would do it. Or is there anything I'm going to do today that at the end of the year, I might still remember? And is there anything possibly I might be doing today that at the end of my life, I'll look back on with pride? And then I would prioritize that thing over everything else I was going to do that day. Because that way you can focus on things that will be purposeful, meaningful, will make a difference. And, and then hopefully um, you will look back with pride over these things uh, when you're old. Um, and the, the negative side is, yeah, the secret to satisfaction is to have low expectations and exceed them. And the, the secret to unhappiness is to have high expectations and not reach them. So you do, you do have to get a bit of a balance between being so driven that you would see yourself as, as not succeeding versus mm. being driven enough to make sure that you achieve something. So I, I would set yourself realistic goals around things that, you think will give your life meaning and you'll be able to look back on with pride mm. well it's turned into a coaching session <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, de I definitely yeah and I think and that's why I love doing these these podcasts and these interviews because I learn so much from the people that I talk to and it's 
I think that it, that whole intergenerational um, learning opportunity is is so fantastic. And I know so many people who don't have conversations and, and, and deep conversations with anyone five years older than them. And, and I think they're really, really missing out. Um, so thank you for that nugget of wisdom. Um, okay, so let's come let's let finish up with your top eight tips for healthy aging now I know that you've um been as I mentioned in the introduction you've been a part of some um interesting um programs on the BBC and and various other TV programs um let's let's talk about that and I mean I love TV my sister's an actress and I think if I didn't do what I did I'd be in TV and I don't know what I do but something in TV <laughs> so go ahead and tell me well the, the 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 thing about getting involved with TV programs as I've been helping to design and aspects of them and then doing a bit of front of camera stuff is that if you you ring up the world expert on X or Y and say I'm doing a TV program can you advise me about this or that they'll take the time to give you advice. So I have learned a huge amount talking to the world's experts about the top tips for living longer. And I can reduce them to eight things in order of importance. Okay. Everyone get your pens, pens and so, paper out. Interestingly, it looks as though the number one thing you can do to increase, to increase your chances of aging well is to maintain good social connections. Definitely. Oh God! Well, it's very. Well, I'm going to talk about number one just for just for a second because, sure. um, so Mature Movers, the business I run is um, about using um digital digital platform to promote um social inclusion through exercise. So um, the reason I kind of came up with that idea, well, the I and I did come up with that idea and kind of fully formed it was during the lockdown period, because I had so many people come to me and say I'm I'm really lonely and if it wasn't for you talking to me and running my exercise sessions and doing these classes with me I don't know what would have happened to me and um and additional to that I I had um my partner's um work colleague um actually committed suicide um mm. and it was thought to be related to the fact that he'd gone from having such a social life at work and being having those social interactions during his job and, and seeing people and that was kind of his main purpose for living and then going from that to being isolated at home and not being in those social settings it you, you really lose your sense of purpose and and to him he lost his will to live so that was a huge eye-opener for me and um and that's why I started Mature Movers because of how social opportunities and um i guess loneliness can impact somebody's well-being not not just mentally but their physical well-being as well exactly and you've you've mentioned actually number eight which is actually the wraparound tip which is purpose you, okay. you wrap everything together in this beautiful package which is purpose life purpose um, but there's other things sort of in the middle to pay attention to. One is very important is clean air. And that means, you know, not polluting your lungs with, with smoking. Um, but it also means the physical environment in which we live has a huge effect. And increasingly understood now, 
clean air. Physical activity is just as important as clean air, you'll be pleased to hear, but and it's physical activity in the context of social engagement and mental activity as well that can be associated with that. And then there's the whole stress and being able to take yourself out through meditation or whatever it is um, that help. And the best indicator of not being too stressed is how well you sleep. <laughs> so yeah. that's that's important. And it's it's quite difficult for menopausal women to because of the impact on some of them on their sleep patterns, which causes all sorts of hormonal um, adverse sort of chemical changes in the body that, and and stress and, and consequences. So stress and sleep, how that's managed really important. And then on nutrition, it, it, it is important how we eat, uh, what we eat, but it's also important how we eat. Because there are some communities, for example, in Southwest France that eat all the wrong things, but they live a very long time because eating is a social activity. They mm. sit down, they take their time over their food. They're not eating and drinking to cope with stress, they're eating and drinking for the joy of life. And so there's something about how we um, eat as well as what we eat that's important. And um, we, we increasingly know that, that um, our self-esteem through how we look or how we perceive we look is really important to people and affects our longevity and our health and our well-being in lots of ways. So I am now having ignored it all my life. I'm a great advocate of skin products for men as well as women. I mean, your skin does look great. <laughs> <laughs> so does yours, Rosario. Thank but you. But then you've got, you've got the advantage of youth and I, <laughs> I need to supplement. Okay, so if we were going to summarise those top eight tips um, so that people could kind of remember them, um, what, let's go with something between two to five words. Could, could you do that for me? Two to five words... Or per two to five words per top tip. Oh, per tip. Yeah, I thought that'd you, be really, you really hard. had sent me a big challenge. There. <laughs> no, um, social connection number one, clean air number two, physical activity number two equal, mental activity which I didn't mention, keeping your mind going number four, stress and sleep number five, how we eat number six, physical appearance number seven sense of purpose wraps it together brilliant well i could do a podcast just on those eight things i could do a podcast interview and just talk about those eight things i think there's so much to discuss but it's really i think the one that stands out to me most of all is clean air because obviously i mean obviously i mean now people don't smoke as much as they used to but there's all the other the other aspects of the air that you're in um i remember i grew up in london and um, now I live in Kent and my partner works in London. So he would come home and his collar and his um, uh, cuffs were covered in dirt just from the air. And I was just, his, his shirts, he'd have to throw them away like every three to four months because of how bad the air is in central London. Um, and obviously, I know they're trying to um, implement um, low emission zones and, and congestion charges and things like that. But I'm also very scared that not enough's being done fast enough to look after the air that and the planet that we're living in at the moment. Um, 
Okay. Let's, let's do another podcast sometime. We'll talk about cleaning yeah. and the other things. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do that. Okay. So thank you so much for coming on to the Mature Movers podcast and sharing your wise, wise words with us. Um, I really, really appreciated the time that we've spent together. Um, and I'm sure that the listeners are now thinking about all the ways to better their lives um, and hopefully we you've inspired um somebody to change their life for the better um so just to finish off if anybody did want to um i don't know contact you or follow your journey i don't know if you have um a newsletter or um linkedin or social media or something that um that you want to share with the listeners so that um they can continue to be inspired by you well, thank you. Being an, an old guy, I'm not great on social media, but I do have a LinkedIn account. I might have been where we met, I can't remember. And um, Age Care Technologies has a LinkedIn account. And when we get around to it, we post occasional articles. But if people contact me, I will always follow up because, you know, social connection is really important. Absolutely. Networking is very important. Um, okay. Thank you so much. Um, and I look forward to our next podcast, um, <laughs> maybe <laughs> next year on uh, top eight, top eight tips for um, optimizing your, your aging life. Um, so thank you so much. And